0: This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 59, comic reviews for the week of March 6th. Welcome back to Comic Shenanigans, this is episode 59, and uh... This is the episode where we're going to look at the comics that were released on March 6th, or the week of March 6th. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. Thanks once again for joining us at uh, Comic Shenanigans. You can always email us at shenanigans at com, or you can also uh, like us on Facebook or follow us on HD Realms. There's uh, Usually we post a thread for each, episode, each new episode in the A V thread uh, section in the um, general discussion area. So uh, let's just jump right into this week's books. Um, I actually... I didn't really read a lot of the comics when they first came out. I waited a couple of days. It's Saturday when I'm recording this, uh, Saturday March 9th, and I found that a lot of these books, they just kind of, they sometimes you have weeks where it feels like every book is a, is an A-lister. Every book is really firing all cylinders, and it's just such a great a great breed, not just on each individual issue, but every issue, and you're just like, wow, that was a really great week in comics. This was one of those weeks where there was a couple really highlighted books, and those are actually books I, I did read a day of, uh, when they a day of release, but for the most part, there's just a lot of stuff that was just kind of felt like it was it was towing the line, it wasn't really doing a lot, they weren't great stories, or they weren't really at, like that thrilling, like it's hard to describe, I guess, but there's sometimes you'll read a book and you're like, "That's really good." I can't wait for the next one. That was a great read. And then there's others where you're like, "Well, that was a, that that happened. It wasn't bad. It was almost indifference, but it was still technically good. It was just didn't motivate or um, didn't capture you in a certain way emotionally. It didn't really make you invested in the uh, book that you were reading." So, the first book that we're going to take a look at this week is uh, Age of Apocalypse number thirteen. Now, this is a book that is reaching the end of its run. Uh, it's going to be part of an... I guess... I think it's called Extermination or Exterminated... Um, Extermination, sorry. And it's crossing over Extreme X-Men, Age of Apocalypse, and uh, I think it was Astonishing X-Men. Uh, I do not care for what the storyline could be. Uh, part of it's that uh, I don't care about uh, Age of Apocalypse Nightcrawler. I've never really liked that, like how they've used that character and how, what they've done to him and how they use him in X-Force. I mean... It was kind of interesting, but also it didn't fit with. I guess the problem is, is that I didn't follow a lot of the stuff that happened in the Age of Apocalypse after the original event. I didn't read the short-lived miniseries that cap that they were trying to capture on the you know 10th anniversary. I didn't really read that, and then even in... I don't remember that much about the whole uh, Dark Angel saga and what parts of the uh, you know the uh, Age of Apocalypse they were really utilizing there. I can't. I just I read it. I liked it. Can't remember it. And then you have this book, and this book just... Sometimes it really works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes the characters work, sometimes they don't. I'm not a big fan of what they've done to Nightcrawler based on how much I liked the original version of Age of Apocalypse Nightcrawler back in the 90s. Anyways, it's kind of interesting how he just wants to go back to his world and doesn't like where he's stuck. And then you go from there, at the beginning of this issue, to basically just having this weird recap of time has passed, and things have changed, and things are better, and it just... It just felt like there was no soul to this book. Um, it just kind of felt like everything was too easy, and it was just it was just really prolonged setup, and like it was a prelude to this exterminated storyline. Just jump into it, just just get to the point already. Uh, why all these things are happening? Why we're we gonna have through these these particularly three books all put together and having a crossover? Like I don't know. I just I didn't really care a lot for this, and I wanted to like it more than I did. It's written by David Lapham. Uh, It's artwork by Renato Lm, who I do do like and appreciate, and Valentine Delandro, who I like as well, but not quite as much. uh, At least on this book, Uh, it's not bad artwork. It just it was just kind of existed as a book. the The first twelve issues were a lot stronger. Uh, Last issue again didn't quite feel as strong, but it had some really good moments. This kind of felt like it was happening. Um, So unfortunately, I had to give it a six and a half out of ten. It just It didn't captivate me. It didn't really make me care about the upcoming storyline. It just kind of happened, and then it was over, and I was kind of like, next. Uh, So speaking of next, we have Age of Ultron, book one. Uh, This is, of course, written by Brian Michael Bendis with artwork by Brian Hitch. To be honest, I didn't really like this. Um, Part of it said, I think I'm over Brian Hitch as an artist, and I don't... Part of it's to do with Paul Mance being the colorist. Um, This book felt a little bit dead in terms of the colors. Um, when you have Brian Hitch doing stuff like The Ultimates, his kind of uh, heavy emphasis on realism really fits that tone of the book and the colors are very kind of relatively drab in that book because it's supposed to be like, kind of real world. But here, we're, this is the Marvel Universe and yet the colors did not really, they weren't vibrant. Uh, I found that at times they were actually kind of lackluster and that kind of what is what ruined part of the artwork for me is that. And It's what made me feel like I was over Brian Hitch more than potentially I am. It's just more that the colors weren't really that captivating. Um, I kind of like how we're just kind of thrown into the deep end. Instead of doing what Brian Bundes sometimes likes to do with a long, uh, slow burn and build-up, uh, we're just jumping right into the event. Uh, Ultron's already pretty much won. You have Hawkeye doing—now, this is what I didn't like about it as well, is that you had Hawkeye just doing unspeakable things and really, like, kind of— I, I, it's pretty. Looks pretty clear that he's killing people with his arrows and stuff. Like, I know he can. It just that felt again more like he, uh, Bendis was writing the Age of Apocalypse, not Age of Apocalypse. The ultimate version of Hawkeye, who I can see as more of a killer, as opposed to the Clint Barton that I read in the regular Hawkeye book, which is amazing. Um, so, I mean, it, this is this is a start of a big storyline, which unfortunately will be screwing up numbering in a way I didn't even think was possible. Instead of having one shots. Per se, they're going to have books like Superior Spider-Man. I think it's six AU, so it's not just it's it's not just uh, Spider-Man Age of Age of Ultron as a one-shot. It's Superior Spider-Man six Age of Ultron. But there's also a regular number six. So it's just why why do they have to always screw up the numbering? There's zero issues, which are you know whatever we've all kind of come to accept them. Uh, there used to be the uh, back in the day when Wizard was around. There was the point uh, sorry the half issues. Um, which is basically a point 0.5 issue, and then you have the point 0.1 issues, which are, throw things uh, off as well. And now we get uh, now we get these you know the same number but with a weird designation code. Um, I don't like the, that trend, and I hope it doesn't continue. Um, basically, Ultron's taken over. Uh, you have Hawkeye basically trying to rescue Spider-Man, and uh, you, you get a glimpse of what they, the Underground Heroes are kind of doing. And the Cap America's shield appears to be broken. He's kind of been shattered in his, his faith. Um, I don't know. It didn't feel like that new, it was a lot. It felt like it was longer than it needed to be. It felt like it could have been half an issue. Um, it was a lot of setup. Again, it's interesting. Bendis did throw us right into the deep end, but it was still set up. Like he still figured out a way to make it a slow burn without really getting to the point. Uh, just in a different uh, more roundabout way than normal. Usually it's a slow burn to get to the big event. Now we're this is after the big event, but we're still getting a slow burn to the point where we Really find out what things where where things are going, what's happened. I give it a seven out of ten. I mean, the artwork's nice, but again, I'm over it because it just didn't quite fit. Uh, it felt like an ultimate book, and it's not an ultimate book. So, I mean, that's that's how I feel about that. Um, all, next is all new X Men number eight, this by Brian Michael Bendis with artwork by David Marquez. Fantastic. Um, not a lot even happens here, and this is this is an issue where instead of it being kind of action, I mean, there is action obviously. It's much more about character and. Uh, Angel, it's it's one of those interesting books that because of the messed up way that the Marvel universe is gone, it makes stories like this fascinating. That the idea that you can have Angel come to the present and meet his current version, who is not looks like him, but it's a reborn version of himself who's not anything like himself because he doesn't have any trace of the old Warren Worthington really in him, which I find fascinating. Um, so that was really interesting their interactions having warren kind of freak out and try to go back in time to fix everything because he doesn't like what the future has brought to him uh, you have cyclops walking right up to captain america and basically saying let me fix this um which is really interesting you have Jean gray like really it's kind of a messed up scene where at the end he's like i can read your minds you know i basically like i've got this um that's scary because i mean if you read uh, she's like stop worrying i'm in total control that that's freaky um this is a character i mean Jean gray has had issues in the past um obviously in the future <laughs> of this particular version of the character um it's fascinating to see her grow up faster than she ever had to had to develop her mental powers faster than she ever had to uh just really interesting uh i gave it an eight and a half out of ten next up is animal man number 18 not a huge fan um it was alright. It, it was very much an epilogue issue. We have the death of uh, Animal Man's son, because um, it's the most tragic day in the life of Buddy Baker. Um, part of it is that, again, I don't like the the artwork. I mean, I just don't... This is a thing, like, when when I heard that they were going to be merging together um, Animal Man and Swamp Thing and having this big um, storyline that was the Rot World storyline... I was really fascinated by that, so that's why I kind of wanted to read these books, but I remember when I first saw Animal Number 1, I was like, I don't want to read this. The colors are drab and ugly and just very unappealing, and the artwork kind of feels the same way. No thanks. Um, Anyways, so that's kind of how I felt about this this issue. It's written by Jeff Lemire. It's uh, got artwork by Steve Pugh, or Pug. I don't know how to pronounce it. I apologize in advance, or actually, not in advance, in behind. Um it it just it kind of felt like it was a long issue it felt longer than it needed to be it felt like a very long wrap up um basically for animal Man to come back to the present or come back from his hellish future and uh, prevent his family from you know being uh from dying and from things to go, going on a corrupted path but in the meaning in the meantime he loses his son and also, you see that maybe some of these creatures aren't what we thought they were, and something else more that might be uh, expanded on the next storyline is actually the focus of. Um, not bad. It just didn't really do it for me. I gave it a seven and a half out of ten. I'm going to downgrade it back to a seven. It, it was okay. I just didn't feel it's over, and it just kind of felt like it was just a long, long issue because it, it didn't need to be. It felt like a very long epilogue. Like we already, we already got the ending. It's already been over. Like it just felt like this is wrapping things up, but it was the slowest possible way of doing that. Uh, next up is Avengers number seven. God, I love this book. Um, there is nothing wrong with this book at all. Um, I cannot read, wait to read it all in collected format. And there's some big ideas Hickman's using. Uh, Dustin Weaver, I believe, was the artist on the Shield. Which where the hell did that book go? It still hasn't ended. Um, it's fascinating to see what, I mean, first of all, the artwork by Weaver is fantastic. You have some messed up stuff about Dream Space and the superflow of universes and I just, it's such huge big concepts and the idea of this big white event and he's basically bringing in the idea that of the, um, I don't know a lot about the new universe, but I knew uh, the idea of the star brand, etc. And you get this great kind of series of uh, events where you see all these different character interactions uh, happening a few hours ago and then you realize what you thought you were looking at is not a at, in, all, in any way what you're really looking at and it's actually something quite different um, it's a lot of lead up but it's exquisitely done uh, you get the greater the sense that there's something really huge happening and it made me feel like is this related to what's going on in Avengers because it's not really clear but I like that it looks like it's kind of telling two different sides of the same story maybe but we don't even know if that's really true yet I don't think it is yet but just this was phenomenal it was such a fun read uh, Dustin Weaver's artwork is fantastic. Hickman nails the script once more. I love that he's utilizing these large teams and he's being able to use like write the characters in a specific way but also explore these really big, uh, crazy ideas. This was immensely entertaining. I gave it a 9 out of 10. Uh, next up is Batwing number 18. I was speaking of books that didn't quite do it. This is one of them. Um, Fabian Nisiza, I wrote it with artwork by Fabrizio uh, Fiorentino, it was alright, it wasn't it just, it felt a little a little long-winded in getting where it needed to go it's interesting, and I like the idea that um, the Batwing character is you know, kind of being pushed to a new length, but I hope he doesn't actually end up killing, because that kind of makes him not worthy of the mantle, in some ways um, you have him reacting to the fact that his, his mentor is extremely injured, and he's trying to make him proud, and uh do what he can he doesn't feel like he has a lot of options until he gets that these 2.0 armor um also you have an interesting like the guy who quote unquote may have killed him they kind of realize that oh maybe he didn't but you know what Uh, my my employer thinks that i did it so i'm going to take off kind of a weird thing for a mercenary but i also appreciated that it was against type usually in comics it's you know, I have a rep to maintain, especially if you're Deathstroke. I'm going to go back and make sure I kill this guy. But here is more like, eh, someone else's problem. I got paid already. I'm good. <laughs> Which is interesting. Um, but again, the book didn't have a lot of meat to it. Um, and that's kind of how I felt the last few issues. I mean, some of the issues are, are good, but it's it's kind of lacking on the sizzle. Uh, I gave it a 7 out of 10, though, because it's not a bad book. I mean, I want—I almost want it to be bad, so I can give it a reason to, to rank it lower. But, I mean, it's not a bad book. It's not a bad read. It's just kind of there. Um, it's not a 5, because I feel like that's speaking to the technical components, and the artwork is still good, and it's written fairly well. It's just its the story itself isn't captivating me as much as I want it to. Um, next up is Cable and X-Force number 5. Talk about a book that is not captivating me enough. Um I was gonna give this a six and a half. I'm gonna give this a six instead. This just isn't doing it for me. Uh a big part of that, as I've said before in the podcast, is LaRocca's artwork. Although the cover is brilliant. That cover of uh of Hope holding a gun to Cable's head, awesome. I I really hate this current rendition of Cable Loaf, the stupid eye patch. Um the artwork by LaRocca is absolutely lifeless. Um I don't know how much of that is his fault and how much of it is the fault of I guess the inks and also the the colorist. The colorist is a big thing. I need. I think the colors need to be a lot more vibrant, and they're just not. I don't understand what's up with Colossus and what is that like? Did I miss something in the last few issues? But like, does he actually have a little valve on him that changes how much of him is in metal? Like, what is that? Is that just because of what the uh, Phoenix Force did to his powers, or is that even anything? Or because that's never happened before? And him having sex with Domino and it just it just didn't feel like Piotr at all and. Uh, I just didn't care much for it. And uh, him at the end turning himself in, now that was the most Peter Spuden like thing that's happened in since he's been in this book, but otherwise it just kind of felt like a mess. Uh, you have another Cable-Hope uh, interaction. Again, Hope is never illustrated quite correctly, and she looks like an old woman here, and it's just uh, so frustrating. A lot of that is the artwork. It's not all Hopeless's fault it's more LaRocca's fault but i, I still I give it a six out of ten because i didn't much care for it the, none of it was that strong it just again a lot of the books just kind of existed they kind of came out and they they hit their beats and they didn't do much more and they didn't really make me all that interested or excited and then it was over uh speaking of that we have daredevil end of days number six now this is kind of a uh first of all the cover doesn't really mean a lot um Bendis wrote it uh with Mac with artwork by Jansen and a little bit by uh you have Bill Sinkovich doing the finished art with David Mack doing it pages 8 and 17 and Alex Maleev doing page 13. Um I didn't just I just didn't care much for it. It was all right. I mean it wasn't awful by any means. It just wasn't that strong a book. Um I I just I, I big, big thing is I think it's going on too long. Um and it's not really a Daredevil story at all it's much more of a Ben Yurick examining the life of Daredevil and going through his world it's okay i it's not bad at all it's just part of parts of it are extremely frustrating um i'm not really sure who we're meant to believe is uh, the new Daredevil is it Is it? This is the first time where, and I don't know if we'd seen him earlier in the miniseries, and I forgot because it just feels like these issues come out. It feels like they come out sporadically. I don't know if they're coming out that regularly or not. I guess they are, but they don't feel like they are. Um, Is that? Are we supposed to believe that maybe it's Ben Ben I guess, adopted son, but the kid from that storyline with Dave Mack is he the one who is basically um, the new Daredevil, or is it Daredevil's maybe son? It's one of the two, I guess. I I don't know. This, this series is running too long. It's not bad, but it is definitely running long, and I'm hoping the next two issues really bring it home. Uh, next up is... So that was a 7.5 out of 10, sorry. Next up is Detective Comics number 18. This was uh, pretty good. Um, it had some issues, but I gave it an 8 out of 10 overall. Uh, my One of my problems with it is it really shoehorned in the Damien just died, I'm sad... <laughs> Because you have the cover and it has the Requiem with the R on it, and that's cool. But it felt disjointed because it didn't really feel like that was meant to be there in some ways. Uh, Jason Fleibach did their work with um, the uh, story being written by John Lehman. Uh, basically, this is about uh, the Penguin basically finding out that he has been usurped by Emperor Penguin. I kind of wanted more of an interaction actually having something happen to Emperor Penguin because I think he's kind of stupid. But instead, you're, instead we just kind of cleaned out the decks and put um, Oswald Cobblepot, in, I guess, effectively in jail, or at least off the pasture for now. It's kind of interesting. I like that we're kind of running with this Emperor Penguin thing. It does feel like it just kind of came out of nowhere, but whatever. I mean, it's there's some interesting potential in there, and it, it's kind of like you have a new villain who's not really a new villain because he's basically the same as an old villain, but an interesting new version of him. Um, also, you got Mr. Zaz coming back. Although he's not nearly as creepy as he used to be, so that's at least his visual isn't as creepy, which I found a little bit of a letdown. Um, No, this was a good book. Give it an 8 out of 10. It was a worthwhile read. Again, the death of Damien and the kind of aftermath of that was very much shoehorned in, and I wish that it didn't feel that way. I wish it had been an issue where. I feel like, well, first of all, Detective Comics, because they've been trying to make it more about him being a detective, more or less. Uh, it should have been in a different book where we kind of had the chance to focus on it, but having like a page or two and it just awkwardly thrown in, awkward. Uh, I did like, however, that there's a bunch of editor's notes in this issue that really kind of stitched how this. there's, there's a lot of... Um, threads going through different books in the bat universe and i like that part there's i think a reference to talon there's a reference to an earlier issue of detective comics there's a reference of course to batman incorporated i like that it's feeling like it's part of a shared universe that i know people don't like uh, or at least editorial doesn't like using editor notes anymore i love them it's what made me feel like i was watching a part of a universe um i have an embarrassing omission uh admission to make but uh, a year ago uh or a little less than a year ago i was working somewhere. And it was just I was only gonna be there for maybe two months or or less, and they only had one channel on their TV. It was stuck on a channel uh, for they had no real cable. They only got one channel for some reason. I don't remember the circumstances, but they only got one channel, and every day they would watch a soap opera, and because there was nothing else to watch, and a bunch of people would congregate at this particular time, which was one thirty. They'd watch Bold and the Beautiful, and I used to come downstairs and laugh at them and be like, "This is stupid. Why are you guys watching this?" And this one guy looked at me, he's like, you know what, you're going to get hooked. And I'm like, that's not going to happen. He's like, no, you are. You're going to get hooked on this because this is the only thing we have to watch. And we're gonna be, you're going to watch it here with us for the time you're here, which is two months. And you're going to get a little hooked and you're going to enjoy talking about it with us. And I'm like, that's not true. And he was right. I did get hooked on it. And part of that, and I realize this, is because comic books are a soap opera. I mean, especially if you read X-Men or Spider-Man, like, a lot of that, there's so many soap operatic uh, elements that you're basically watching a long-running soap opera that's been running, in Marvel's case, for about 50 years. With DC, that doesn't really exist the same, but not anymore. But with Marvel, like this has been going on for 50 years. You're reading 50 years of Spider-Man. Like, there's a ton of stuff that's happened. And what they throw into some of these uh, uh, episodes of Bold and Beautiful that I was watching They would have constant callbacks where they'd have little uh, flashback moments to either stuff that happened recently to kind of remind you or even stuff that happened years ago. And what I noticed, what I realized about that was that when they showed these little flashbacks, that was their way of doing an editor's note. I mean, they obviously throw it in the dialogue as well because they can't just throw a note saying, hey, you know, check out this old, remember when this happened, but they have these callbacks and that's basically their version of an editor note. So I, I like editor's notes. I don't know why I admitted that entire stupid preamble about the bold and beautiful. So I apologize, and I'm ridiculous. I understand that. I like comics. What am I? Why have I ever watched bold and beautiful? And why did I ever find it even a, a tiniest iota entertaining? Who can know? It's not. I don't. I can't answer that. Anyways, that's what I felt with Detective Comics eighteen. It made me think of that. So I gave it an eight out of ten. Next up is. Earth 2, number 10. This was a really uh, fun read. Um, It wasn't quite as strong as some of the previous ones. There was a lot more exposition in this issue. Um, Actually, a ton of exposition. And that was kind of a problem with the the Wotan character. But you know what? I, I don't know a lot about kind of the... I like that we're kind of building the idea of Dr. Fate in the new universe from the ground up, more or less. So I'm excited to see where Robinson goes with this. Um, James Robertson obviously wrote it with Nicola Scott back and artwork. Uh, I, I like that you're get, you're getting a sense of uh, I, I. There's a twist here that maybe the bombing that happened that we thought was meant for Alan Scott was actually meant for Alan Scott's uh, future fiance, or I guess he, he he did say yes, I think so. His fiance, and that's a great perce- uh, way to take it. And it really flips the story on its uh, on its uh, axis a little because we're meant to believe. And it's because of who Alan was that his his fiancée died. But it switches it up totally if that's actually not the case. It would also allow for um, a change in the character. I mean, he doesn't need to just be kind of motivated by loss because he he was also blaming himself and he felt guilt. But if it it ends up showing that it actually wasn't technically his fault and it was uh, his uh, fiancée that was being targeted, it does change a little bit for the character. And I think it allows him to maybe be less... Um, for Robinson to move the character forward more quickly in a way that isn't offensive to the memory of uh, Green Lantern's former fiance or not former uh, deceased fiance. So I mean, and that may be, may, maybe I'm totally off, but I do think it's an interesting way of going about it. Um, again, a lot of exposition in this issue. I like how Flash is written. I like uh, I like that we're going to get to see more of what what what. It will be in Earth 2 as a wonder um, so I, I dug this I gave it an, an 8 out of 10 and it was well deserved uh, next up is Green Lantern 18 I was originally thinking of giving this a 7 but I didn't really care about it and I, I, I think I have more I want to say about it now than I originally thought I was going to so I'm actually going to give it a 6 um, there's a lot of issues with this issue which I first of all it's Wrath of the First Lantern number part 5 uh, th- I, they should just stop Stop doing any kind of crossovers in the Green Lantern universe because first we had uh, Rise of the Third Army, which made no sense and wasn't really a crossover and it wasn't built in that well and there was no parts and it was just kind of happening piecemeal here and there while other things were happening. And then it finally kind of came together, I guess. And then but the minute it was over, boom, we're out of the First Lantern. And then you have this, this issue, which is just... Let's Ah, uh, I don't know what's what is going on with this series. Like this is part five of a storyline really, you can call it that. When it's if I hadn't been reading Green Lantern, I can't understand this at all because it's talking about stuff that happened like six, seven months ago or six months ago. So I mean, ugh just so frustrating. Um now this issue was written by Jeff Johns, I by I guess Simon Kudronsky and Ardion Sayof on different aspects of it. Uh, the parts in the land of the dead, you know, they're creepy, but they, I feel like they need a little bit more substance to them. And then the parts in the real world were just not good. Like I like Syaf, this is not his best work at all. It felt very, uh, I don't, even, I don't even know the words. It just felt very '90s and silly, and I just didn't care for it. Um, and at the end of this, like, what was the point of this? Like Jordan's still in the land of the dead, and now. Uh, how um, Sinestro and Simon are back in the real world, but what's going to happen there? And they're back with Badge, and maybe it looks like how Jordan's going to quote-unquote die. And, ah, uh, this, this just felt like a, a jumbled mess. I didn't much care for it. didn't like it. Gave it a 6 out of 10. No thanks. And the artwork, I mean, was kind of moody, but it wasn't strong enough to actually be effective. Uh, next up is Iron Man number 7. Uh, this, again, I... I'm actually re- re- rethinking a lot of my 7s and thinking maybe this is more of a 6. It just kind of occurs. Uh, you have... Um, it didn't feel that, that original either. You have obviously Kieran Gillen is writing it with uh, Greg Land and artwork. It's just very blah. You have a rogue recorder who's decided that he remembers everything he's ever seen. Basically, the the programming that's usually in the recorders that uh, illuminates their memories after they're doing something um, it didn't really work, so he's still kind of crazy, and he's and he wants to help Iron Man, and so he's going to assist him in doing this, so he gives him a lot of information, and he helps the system so that he can invoke a certain battle right, and then he can easily defend himself and take on um, uh, the enemy, and, and perhaps become beloved in his own way so that he won't have to die, and then you have Death's Head come who Death's Head has shown up in like what two books now recently he showed up in oh, what was it it was uh Avenging Spider-Man and now this it's just why the love for Death's Head I just didn't care much for it I mean the story it felt very belabored um I, I, I think it's supposed to be feel more epic and more more fascinating than it is and it just lacks a lot of things uh, the artwork is very minimalist and uh I don't know the first arc I actually kind of liked like it it had more of a purpose. It felt like there was a reason for things were happening, and it was very kind of action oriented. And every issue kind of felt like a, almost like a standalone, which I liked. This is just dragging on. It's only been two issues, and it's too long. Six out of ten. Next up is Red Shield number sixty-three. Still a good read, not as strong as the previous issues had been. Uh, this felt like it definitely slowed down a little. Uh, you have uh, pagulian on artwork as well as Alves. Um, with uh it's written by uh who is it it's written by uh Jeff Parker right yeah Jeff Parker who I actually really like on the way he's been writing this I I dig the story it's not bad it's just I don't know it it, it is good but uh I just felt like this felt like more of a setup there was a little bit of action um and then you have like the Mole Monster and you have Bruce Banner potentially offering his services to help with uh, whatever the issue might be. There's some interesting things going on here. I felt like the first main arc was a lot stronger, but this was still an enjoyable kind of thorough thoroughfare into the next storyline. Um, so I give it a 7.5 out of 10. Not the strongest issue since I've started reading this, but you know... Six months ago, I would have thought that Red she would not be something I'd be interested in at all. I would have taken a pass on it, but then I read that first issue. And I was like, you know what? This is really strong and enjoyable. I'm going to give this a try, and I'm glad I did. Uh, next up is... There's five books left that we're going to take a look at. So next up is Superior Spider-Man number five. Uh, I gave this an eight and a half out of ten. Extremely strong. One thing I did like is that there, it felt like there was a little bit less of... Um, of uh, oh. What's it called? Uh, Peter Parker, the ghost Peter Parker, kind of giving his his feelings and things. Uh, this is written by Dan Slott with uh, artwork by Giuseppe Coley. A friend of mine was reading this. He read the first three issues and then he read issue four and he was like, "Why did the artwork become all ugly?" And I'm like, "Ugh, I don't understand that." I love Camuncoli's artwork. Now, is it as dynamic and clean as Stegman's? No, it's not. But I really like his uh, his anatomy. And I like how his characters look. I love how he makes Spider Man look. Uh, and this is a there's a lot of really great pacing here. Uh, the way that the panels are laid out, obviously that's part slot, part uh, uh, part chemicali, but this was really interesting. Um, it did feel a little bit like Dark Knight at one point, though, because Spider-Man basically having the ability to tap into anything and using facial recognition software and his little spider bots, and that kind of felt, I mean, there was definitely pieces of Dark Knight there. But I did like how this is a very thrilling issue. This is a lot about, you know, there's a mass murder on the loose, and what's Spider-Man going to do about it? Um, And this is obviously not the Spider-Man we used to know, and what's he going to do that's different? And I like that there's some ambiguity here. Like, did he kill him? Did he just shoot him and neutralize him? It's not really clear, and maybe I'm just stupid. Like, maybe it is clear, and I'm just not allowing myself to admit that Spider-Man just killed someone, but... I don't think it's necessarily necessarily spelled out that he killed them, but very interesting. I I really dig this book. I like that. I like that they kept the Amazing Spider-Man schedule because I like them getting an issue this often. Um, I like getting two issues a month. That's great. Um, I don't think that's the way it has to be with every Marvel book, <laughs> which is kind of the way it feels these days. But uh, yeah, no, I like that. Um, so And it looks like in two weeks we got uh, Humberto Ramos will be coming back on the book. And it'll be the return of Gesture and Screwball. So that'll be interesting. Um, next up after that is uh, Swamp Thing number 18. This book puts uh, Animal Man 18 to, the sh- to shame. Uh, to be honest, I, I said Swamp Thing 18 and then I realized, crap, I haven't actually read it yet. So I paused the podcast, went back, read it, and I was like, wow, that is how you put an end in the storyline this was a fantastic issue Uh, it was heartfelt it was sad it was it felt much more definitive than the animal man ending I mean this was much more like arcane is defeated and finished and he no longer has um, his abilities uh, because Abby takes the power for herself and finally succumbs to it but it means her and Al can never be together Uh, both basically die once more and no longer have bodies and take on their new forms uh, it's immensely moving, quite sad, uh, it's a nice ending to the storyline as well. This feels, um, let me just look here, is this, this, uh, this doesn't even have the, uh, the rot, uh, crossover mark on it for the looks of it, um. So it's kind of intre- um, interesting that it doesn't kind of say anything, whereas the other one said Rot World, the uh, epilogue, and the uh, Animal Land issue. This is much more of a e- either a regular chapter or at least an epilogue. Uh, Scott Snyder wrote, wrote it with artwork by Yannick Paquette. Extremely moving. Um, and the ending where you know they finally lay to rest their bodies, and there's some great moments in there, like The moment where he kills her is just so sad, but like, it just so ever like he 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 does it beautifully, but he basically stabs her with himself, which is kind of phallic and kills her and then at the end with their bodies and he kind of commits them to the world and to the ground, and then they try to embrace and that they can't and oh, this was extremely well done, such a strong issue. I gave this a nine out of ten. it was just totally worth reading. It put animal man to shame um yeah, this was absolutely entertaining. this is totally worth reading. you should definitely pick it up uh next up is venom number 32 Eh, it's <laughs> not really a review at all but i didn't find it uh i just found it frustrating i i i i like that latour and klein definitely have an idea of where they're going with it i just don't know if i really get where that is yet um it wasn't a bad read again a lot of these books that came out this week weren't bad reads it just kind of felt generic a lot of times um I think that this could actually end up being a very fantastic storyline, but it's not at all, it's not totally clear. I think at times the writing is a little bit obtuse. The artwork isn't always perfect, uh, not always quite right, but sometimes it's extremely effective. Uh, There's a Nick Fury cameo that really bothered me because it just doesn't make a lot of sense for the character. Overall, I think there's a lot of potential here. I'm excited to see where the next issue goes. You know what? Maybe I was too hard on it when I said I was going to give it a seven. Maybe a seven and a half, almost an eight. I'm looking back over it, I'm like, you know what? This is better than I re- remembered it um, when I read it originally. So you know what? I'll give it a I'll give it a seven and a half, not quite an eight, but it was good. I'm not. It's still not Brew Baker. It's still very different. I think part of my reticence to give it a bit higher rating is that I'm coming to grips with the fact that it's not Brew Baker and one of his extremely talented collaborators. In the last, uh, he was with Geist before, so it's not quite up to their ca- caliber. But it's still entertaining. It's just it just it does feel different, and it's also you can you have Winter Soldier operating more as a lone wolf, whereas uh, previously you had him working with Natasha. Now he doesn't have that that uh, teammate kind of helping him out, so, seven, I, I give it a seven and a half out of ten, Um uh, wait, I just realized I jumped ahead, I meant to, I was talking about, I was going to talk about Venom 32, instead I completely talked about Winter Soldier number 16, I'm not going to go back and edit it, because, you know, I'm all about free, free flowing, so I'll go back now and talk about Venom 32, which I did give a seven and a half as well, um, it's not a bad issue of Venom it definitely helps set set up the new status quo Uh, I I liked it. it it wasn't the strongest issue the covers first of all feel more generic every issue um I like that we're getting a sense of you know Eddie Brock dealing with his own demons because now he's a toxin. You have him coming for, Eddie, uh, for uh, Flash Thompson. Declan Shelby does good artwork. Colin Bunn. Still getting used to the, uh, his take on the character, but I did like how they're giving him a job and they're kind of giving him more real-world responsibilities and uh, his interactions with characters, etc. and him kind of realizing what he used to be and what he is now and kind of coming to grips with that. But then you have a, a freaky villain and who ends up kind of going up against Toxin at the very end. Uh, It felt like a setup issue, but it was meaningful setup, so I'll give them that. Um, I I gave it a 7.5. And And, uh, next up is uh, World's Finest, number 10. Ugh, God. I'm going to give this a 7 out of 10. But half the book is terrible, half the book is really strong. (laughs) It's not really a surprise at this point, but the parts with Power Girl generally aren't very good, and the parts with Huntress are extremely strong. Uh Huntress is dealing with a lot of stuff here. She's trying to figure out what's going on with the whole Michael Holt situation. Um whereas power goes does some stupid things and causes some property damage, whereas at least uh Huntress gets to go off up against some T square uh, T sphere, sorry. Uh which is cool, and she's also dealing with very abruptly, she deals with the fact that uh, Damien's dead and that she couldn't. She wishes she could talk to her not-father but just can't bring herself to do it. And then at the very last page, it looks like Michael Holt's back, so I don't know what that means. Um, but the Hunter stuff here, easily the strongest. Uh, Kevin McGuire is doing the artwork here. The, uh, the story itself was written by... Um, uh, let me just pull that up because I believe it was Levitz, but I'm not... I don't want to... It was by Paul Levitz, yeah. Um. So yeah, read the Hunter stuff. Don't read the Power Girl stuff. Unfortunately, since uh, this book started, Power Girl's segments have been the weakest, whereas Huntresses have my by far been better. Um, which is a shame. So this has been uh episode fifty nine. The the books I didn't get a chance to look at, or just didn't care, or something happened. Uh, were the following: there was A Plus X number five. I don't care for Dupe. Don't really care about that story. A Mr. Sinister story, and uh who is he paired with? Um, Kid Loki? No thanks. I, it could be quirky and weird, but I just it wasn't interested, uh, unfortunately. Um, Before Watchmen, Warshack number 4, Dial H number 10, Green Arrow 18, Human Bomb number 4, Phantom Stranger 6, Stormwatch 18, uh, yes, that's a lot of DC, uh, Superman 17, I'm ready for Hell on Earth to be over, I didn't care for the art style, I didn't care for the storyline, I'm ready for it to be over, in hopefully have better stories, and I also didn't get a chance to read Ultimate Comics Ultimates, but in that case, because I just don't read Ultimates. I only read Ultimate Comics Spider-Man. Uh, now, if I have enough people tell me I'm wrong and that it's actually amazing, then maybe I'll, I'll consider doing something differently. Uh, so that is episode number 59. Now, look forward, as I said before, to our next episode, we'll be talking movies on uh, that'll be episode 60, and that'll be coming up in four days, uh, where I'll be sitting down with, hopefully... I'm not exactly sure on who I'll be sitting down with yet. I believe I'll be sitting down with uh my frequent co-host, Paul uh sorry, Nathan Strzok, uh his wife, Amber Strzok, uh my brother in law, Paul Scores, and hopefully, hopefully, hopefully I'll also be sitting down with my wife, uh, Kelly Chapman, and we'll be talking about movies. We'll call it will be called talkin' movies, episode sixty. So Um, We'll be talking about comic book movies and fantasy and sci-fi movies that came out in 2012, as well as looking forward to the future in 2013 and beyond, and what we're looking forward to, what we're excited about, blah, blah, blah. Uh, After that, not really sure what episode 62 is going to be about yet, but I'm sure it'll be something interesting, hopefully. God can only hope uh so thanks again for joining me here uh as i said at the beginning of the podcast you can email me at comic shenanigans at gmail dot com or you can like us on facebook or make a comment on our HC, HC realms thread that we put up about the uh the podcast as well thanks again for listening i really appreciate it um you know it's it's crazy that i'm already on episode fifty nine i just started last august and i guess that's you know, I, I guess I've been doing it for like six and a half months, but almost so just over half a year. But it still feels like I'm very new at this. But I really appreciate any uh, any feedback I get from the listeners. Um, we're hopefully building the the base and the subscriber list all the time. So I really appreciate that. I mean, it really means a lot that people are listening to it and seem to be enjoying the episodes. And uh, I don't get a lot of feedback on the review episodes, so I'm not really sure if people do enjoy them as much or are listening to them. But uh, if you want to, even if If you do enjoy the episode, just let me know. (laughs) Because I have toyed with the idea that I've mentioned on the podcast before, I'm a prospective father, I'm going to have, my wife is currently pregnant with our first child, which we'll be having in August, and I kind of wonder, like, you know, will I have time to be doing two podcasts a week? Uh, where one of them is, you know, 40 to 45 minutes, that's a review podcast, but there's also a lot of prep time that goes into that one, because I have to read all the comics that come out, and then I also usually have another one where I sit down with a special guest, and we go through, and we have a topic, and it's usually one to two hours, so when... I suddenly have a child at home, I may not have the opportunity to do this, so if you do enjoy the review episodes, let me know, because otherwise there's a, there is potential in the future that I might end up cutting them. But if people like them, then I will endeavor to continue doing them, because if people like listening to them, that's that's what I'm doing this for, I'm doing this so that people have you know, are able to hear about books they may not be reading, hear about books they should be reading, and hopefully they're having a good time listening to the podcast. So if you are one of those people who does think it's a, a good resource and you do like listening to the episodes... Let me know because that way I'll make sure that I keep doing them. Because I want, I want, I'll, I'll do what people like. Basically, I enjoy doing the podcast. I enjoy doing both types of episodes, and I want to make sure people are enjoying them. That's all I ask for. So, thanks again. I get off my soapbox and I'm I'm done prattling on. But thanks again for joining us for episode fifty-nine. I've said that like three or four times now, and uh, we hope to see you next time. Bye bye.